Uh, Lord God, we continue to worship you. We continue to seek you, reach out to you in this moment. And we acknowledge that you are pure and holy and perfect. There is no sinfulness or wickedness in you. You are the ultimate source of purity and unholiness and moral excellence. And you are transcendent as part of your holiness as well. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to seek to become more holy like you. Uh, we don't deserve this opportunity, but you've saved us by your sheer grace. You've justified us in the sight of God when we came to you with faith and repentance and baptism. And we ask that you would put it in our hearts to desire to become more and more and more like you, the ultimate perfect person. And, and would you place that desire in us to press on towards perfection? It is not here yet, cannot be here yet, but will be in the future. But just give us that desire to increase in holiness as you are holy. Help me to speak your words today through Christ, we pray. Amen. I'll be reading uh, Philippians 3, 12 up to the end, which is 21, and go to Philippians 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I loved and longed for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Our sermon series. It actually ends in a couple of weeks, and July 14 will be the last one, and Matt is preaching that day, so I, I don't know if we can announce Matt. I, I guess I already announced that. It's cat's out of the bag. No getting out of it, no getting out of it now. That's right. So that'll be good, and you get to close the whole series. I mean, well, that'll be just a glorious moment, uh, but looking forward to, to, to doing that and, and uh, time together. So anyhow, today is basically the third last uh, sermon in the series, 
And the series, as you know, is To Live as Christ. That's really the mega theme of the book of Philippians. And then after, I think, the 21st of July, we start a new series on 2 Peter. So that'll be interesting. We've never preached on that passage before. But there's a theme to this passage that Lucy read. I don't know if you caught the theme, Lucy, but I won't put you on the spot to tell us what that is. But it's really the theme of pressing on and straining, pressing on and straining, okay, using intense energy, intense determination uh, to, to run after something and, and go after something. And this, here's an example. Uh, if you're a weightlifter, and there, I think some of you are weightlifters in the room, uh, if you lift, lift weights, you generally use the bench press. And uh, it's, it's amazing. It's so much fun, isn't it? It's not really fun, but it's a good thing to, to do, apparently, if you want to build muscle. And uh, what you might do on that bar, you might place... I think this guy may have like three or four hundred pounds there. I don't know what it is, but it's a ridiculous amount. Much more than I could ever do. I don't, I don't do the bench press, man. But you might have one or two or three hundred pounds there. What you do is you lie down, and the, the idea is for you to lift up the bar off the, the, the things, whatever those are, things are. And at that point, after you lift it up off those things, you have an important choice to make. And the choice is really, am I actually going to lower this thing down? And then after that, am I actually going to be able to press this thing upwards? Uh, really, it's, a, it's basically, if I can't press this thing upwards again, it's going to kill me, it's going to crush me, it's going to be all over. I don't want to do that. So that's an important choice you have to make. But in order to get that bar back up again, you really have to strain yourself. You need intense determination because if you don't push that bar back up again, you won't live, but if you do, you will live, and you get to build muscle, and you get stronger, you see. You get stronger. That's really the whole point, uh, punishing yourself in these ways. Other areas in which you might push and press and strain yourself would be in a marathon run or a half marathon run. Some of you are runners in the, in the room. Uh, think of the grouse grind. Anybody do the grouse grind this spring or recently? None of you have. Oh, there's a couple of you. Uh, did you hear about that guy who did the grouse grind 19 times in 19 hours? 19 times in nine hours, and I, I assume, anyhow, he probably didn't go down himself. I don't know how that works, but that's impressive. This is a guy who knows how to press on to, he knows how to use intense determination to accomplish a goal and run after something. I mean, that, that is truly amazing. Lots of pressing, lots of straining. Title for today's message is that same idea. What are, what are we, what is Mercy Hill Church straining Toward What are we straining toward? And it's similar to the, the straining that's required in weight training, the straining and pressing on that's required in doing the grouse grind 19 times. Well, when it comes to us as a church family, a family on a mission for Jesus, we are here to live the Christian life. We are here to pursue the mission of Jesus. Well, we are to use the same kind of determination and straining and pressing on together, not just individually, but we do this together because we're a family uh, in Christ, and we do this together toward what? Toward the goals of being transformed into the image of Jesus, and then the ultimate goal beyond that, that being the heavenly goal, being with Jesus in the new heavens, in the new earth, in these brand new resurrected bodies that he promises to us. That's a good goal. This is important. Uh, for us to, to hear and be reminded by. You may have noticed this. Man, it is so easy to get distracted with all kinds of other things than heaven, than Jesus and his mission. So many different things are pulling me, pulling you. They're trying to pull you away, pull our church family away from what really matters and what really counts. And what I like about this passage 
is that it really, uh, it's like you read it and you're like, oh yeah, of course, this is what I need to be pursuing, running after, straining towards. And it's like one of those get back on track messages uh, for me and for, for the church family as well. Paul wrote this not just to one individual, he wrote it to an, an entire church family, and we've got to read it in that way. All right, the first thing that I want to point out to you in your notes, there is a sermon outline in your bulletin if you do want to fill those blanks in, uh, but the, the number one on that outline is simply this, press on to make transformation our own. Press on to make transformation our own, our church family's own, because Jesus has made us his own. When I hear that point, it's actually kind of touching. You know, I'm not an emotional guy, but there's, there's something emotionally going on within uh, that I would desire to make transformation my own. Why? Well, because Christ has made me his own. He has made us his own. There's, there's something emotional about that, and, and it's good. Uh, verse 12, this is where we get this idea from. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So this is guy, Paul, the greatest Christian who probably has ever lived. He is saying, I am not perfect. I am not perfect. But I press on to make it perfection, transformation, my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You're, you might remember that old uh, song, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little older. I guess we're all getting older, aren't we? But remember that song, Willie Nelson, I think. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And I would often sing this song to my uh, five siblings as a point of pride, as a point of one-upmanship uh, to, you know, basically say, I'm better than you are. But the fact is, though, that song is wrong. It is wrong. It is not true. None of us are perfect in any way. All right? Perfection is coming for the Christian. And it comes the moment that Jesus takes us home. It is coming when we receive this new, perfect uh, resurrection body that Jesus promises to give us. And this is a great promise. But until this day of death or until the day that Jesus returns from heaven, we are not yet perfect. We're not. You can't sing the song with a straight face. You can't. We still sin. I still sin. You still sin. Because there's still sinful flesh desires that remain within us. And yet, like Paul, we are to press on, press the gas towards perfection. To daily battle those inward sinful desires with Jesus' help. It is our, we should be pressing on to increase in holiness more and more each day. To increase, to become more like the ultimate perfect person who is? Anyone know? Jesus, okay. To transform me into your image, Lord Jesus. He has made me his own, and so how can I not desire to become like him with his help? Very quickly, I want to take a bit of a step back and go big picture, and I'll try to do this fairly quickly, okay? The Christian life, and I've shared this before, but it's been quite some time. The Christian life can be summarized to being like a book. This is a Bible. Let's just imagine this is a generic book, but this is your life. This is my life as a Christian. And there's, you may have noticed, three basic components to a book. What do you got? You got a front cover, you got the pages in the middle, and then you got the back cover, okay? And the front cover represents, in the life of a Christian, what is known as justification. And all that that means is a long Bible word, but it means that's the moment at which you become a Christian. You're converted, you're saved by Christ, and that is the minute, the millisecond, that God declares you, it's like he's got a gavel, you're not guilty, 
You're not guilty. You know why? It's because you trust in His Son. You believe that Jesus lived my life, died my death on the cross for my sins, and that He rose again. And you respond to that gospel news, and you respond with repentance of my sins. I respond with faith and trust in Jesus, and I respond with baptism, being baptized into Christ like Christ Himself was baptized. And amazingly, in that moment, you're justified. God looks at you, no more sin. Sin's gone. Sin's gone from you. You are justified in the sight of Christ. You are now, now clothed with the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus in that moment. You didn't do anything. Jesus did all the doing. He did all the earning. That's the front cover of the Christian life. And that's where your Christian life begins, at the front. Then in the middle, it is represented by the biblical term uh, sanctification. Another way of uh, describing that word is transformation. And that is the process of becoming more and more holy, more and more like Jesus, changed into his image over time. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two back, four steps forward, three back or five back, and then, but you're moving forward. And that is what we are to press on towards. And in the back cover is another long biblical term called glorification. This is the end of the book, okay? And it's actually the beginning, isn't it? This is glorification. It is the day of your death or when Jesus returns and you are ushered into the presence of Christ. You are raised from the dead. You receive this new glorified, hence the word glorification, this glorified, raised in power body that suffers no more disease, no more issues, no more back pain, no more arthritis, no matter whatever your, your bodily issue is, is gone. And that's a good day, would you say? Is this not a good day? This is a very good day. And that's a summary of the Christian life. But you see, until that day of glorification, we are, you are, I am, if we are Christians, are to press on towards with this intense, intentional determination to seek to change, to seek to become more and more like Jesus. Let me, let me summarize it or try to use this fairly quickly, this word picture. And the word picture is that of a SWAT team. You know what a SWAT team is? I don't know what it stands for. Does anyone know what it is? Special weapons and tactics. Special weapons and tactics. He, I can count on Scott. He, is all, he knows all things to do with police and uh, Army-related stuff. And uh, so this is what they do. And so very often when you see a SWAT team, you know that it's, there's something very serious shaking down, okay? And let's imagine this SWAT team, they hear about several criminals who are trying to hide themselves in a massive mansion, and but... They, they, get, they get wind of this, and so they travel to the mansion like this one, and how do they go about getting these criminals that are hiding away in these 20, 30, 40 rooms that are within that building? They do it one room at a time, one room at a time systematically, and they bust into a room, they shine the light, they turn on the light, shine the light if there's no light, all right, they, they, got, they got some weapons in there, okay, and... They, they search around that room. If, if there's no one in that room, there's no criminal, what do they say? Clear. 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 It's gone. There's nothing here. Then they move on to the next room. They bust in, shine the light. Oh, there's a guy hiding in the closet. And they, they grab the guy. They handcuff him. And where do they take him? They take him out to the van. And they lock him up. You see, there's the van. That's what they do. And room after room after room until eventually they've gone through the entire house and all the criminals have been taken out systematically and placed in the van in like manner. It is your job and my job to do the same kind of thing 
in our lives as we depend on Christ. Our job is to press on in every department, every aspect of our hearts and submit ourselves to daily prayer to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, examine me. Show me where my sin is. Show me my sinful tendencies and, and help me to, to see them. And when, we, when he points those sins out and sinful tendencies within you, you then take those to prayer. You, you repent of them. I'm sorry for the lust. I am sorry for the sinful anger. I am sorry for the self-obsession. I am sorry for the gossip, whatever those areas of sin are within us. And then we take those sins to the cross. We receive His daily grace and forgiveness for those sins. And then we ask the Holy Spirit, put those sins and desires to death. Mortify, kill, eradicate those desires. Take them out to the van, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. And this is what He does. And then over time, you see, these areas, these rooms within your heart are cleared out. These sinful patterns are nipped in the bud. They no, lo no longer control your life. They no longer define you. You don't struggle with them like you once did. You probably will, probably for the rest of your life, but not like you once did. They don't dominate your relationships. They don't dominate your thoughts any longer. Those sins are rooted out as you are intentionally asking the Holy Spirit to help you see them and then asking Him to put them to death within you. That's that's how sanctification works. And we are to pursue this each and every day. And we don't pursue it just you by yourself, me by myself. We do this together. Change is a community project. That's why we, there's a church here. That's why we're here. We are to help each other see our sins in one another and help us walk away from those sinful patterns within us. To finish the point, we've got to be vigilant, vigilant like a SWAT team. Uh, like Paul was, and make transformation and sanctification our own because Jesus had made, has made us his own. Let's move on as I try to... Is this too fast? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, to not keep you here all day, okay? Number two, the second major point that we see in this passage is this. Press on toward our heavenly citizenship, not towards our past or towards earthly things. And so here's what this boils down to. You've got to decide, what am I going to live for? And if I'm going to live for anything outside of Christ primarily, I'm settling for less. That's really what it comes down to. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Uh, I will actually read this, reread this passage, verses 13 to 20 here. Here's what Paul says to us. And bear with me if you want to read along. I think it's on the screen. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So he's not saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And Paul had a horrible past. He was a religious terrorist formerly. He killed Christians. I mean, you think you got a bad past. He's got a really bad past, man. He was killing Christians, killing people. I forget what lies behind. He's putting that behind himself and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Have you, heard, have you seen this happen to someone that you know was a Christian and now are not? They walk now as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's amazing stuff here. Not exactly sure. that Now, Paul has a bit of a word picture going on 
early on in that passage. Uh, he either may be thinking of ancient Greek Olympics, okay? They started a few hundred years, I think, before the time of Paul. So this might be an ancient Greek running race that he has in mind here, or it might be an archery competition that he has in mind, and that was a big thing back then as well. That was all the guns that they had were, you know, bow, bow and arrows. In either case, if you're running a race or you're in archery competition, what are, what are you aiming towards? What are you aiming at? You are aiming for what's in front of you. The finish line. Bullseye. And Paul's finish line, um, Paul's bullseye is what? It's heaven. It's the reward. The crown of life. It's being with God, with God's people forever, in a perfect place. No more suffering, pain, tears, disease, sin. No more addiction. New perfect resurrection. Don't look at me because this is not the, the perfect resurrection body. But let's, let's imagine the perfect resurrection body raised in power. doesn't get any better than that. I mean, this is the best case scenario, best case outcome, best place, period, in the universe. By His grace, we get to be there. And this is what He's aiming towards. This is what He's shooting towards. Now, the question is, when you look around, maybe at our church or maybe in the world in general, are people aiming for, for this? Are they aiming for, for God, for heaven, their reward? Are they not letting their past drag them down? Are they not letting their addictions and, and sinful patterns drag them down? Uh, are, are they pretty focused all the time? No, they're not. They're not. We're not. Not everyone has this kind of singular heavenly focus that Paul has. We Christians, we lose our way. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one, the God I love, as the song goes. And let me just kind of hopefully finish this point in somewhat short order here. I want to talk about something somewhat morbid, but there's a time to talk about morbid stuff, and that is your deathbed. And this is the bed on which you will pass away. And on that deathbed, very often there are last thoughts, last words, uh, self-examination. And on your deathbed, will you say, Man, I'm so proud of how I let lust get the best of me most days in my Christian walk. I'm so glad. Um, I'm so glad I let my past, uh, how I beat myself up about my colorful past, I'm so glad I let my past do that and focus on my past. That was so helpful. Are you going to say that? No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say, oh, lust was such a wonderful thing to focus my life on. You're not going to say that. On your deathbed, will you be proud of, of how I was... I, I, went after money and I went after a career and I overworked and, and to the detriment of my family and my church and I didn't invest myself relationally in my church and, and will, we, will we be proud of that being our legacy? We will not be proud of that. You see, the mark of Christian maturity, did you notice how, how Paul talked about what it is to be mature as a follower of Jesus? The mark of Christian maturity, according to Paul, is, is to have this strange singular focus in front of you. Yes, I'm not perfect. Yes, I'm a piece of work still. I still sin, but, but, but I've got to keep Jesus and heaven in front of me, in front of me each and every day so that my past doesn't come back to bite me, so that my past doesn't control me any longer, so that these flesh, inward, sinful desires don't dominate me anymore. I don't want to be dominated by sinful anger and pride and, sin, uh, and selfishness and, and lust. I don't want that. I only want Jesus to control me and guide and lead me so that I can live the Christian, flourishing, joy-filled life that I was designed to live. So anyhow, let me 
land the plane for this point only, not for the sermon yet. Basically, the question, what are you aiming for in life? Like now, what are you aiming for? What are you running towards? Are you straining towards Christ and his purposes? Let's take a minute to imagine. Let's put your personal calendar on the screen, how you spend your time. Let's put your bank account on the screen. How about your credit card? Those are really scary, aren't they? Especially credit card statements on the screen. Let's put your browser history on the screen. How, how would you feel about that? And I don't say these things to embarrass anybody or shame anybody. I'm just, you can look at your, your bank account. You can look at your credit card statements. You can look, certainly, at your browser history. All right? You just look at your calendar, all of these things. You can look at your thought life. Like, what am I dwelling on? What am I thinking about? What fears or not fears am I, you know, spending time thinking about? Um, you can sort of determine what you're aiming at. The thing is, though, don't stay in a place of condemnation. Just repent of your sins. Receive the grace. Walk away from that stuff. And, and walk away, as, repent as often as it takes. You and I will sin, but don't let sin dominate you. Say no to it. It just entangles you. It just messes everything up. It, it, there's, no, there's no upside. There may be an upside of, of joy, of pleasure in the moment, whatever that sin is. But it only lasts about this long. It's not worth it. What are we aiming for? What are we aiming for? What are we running towards? Let's move on to the final point in our notes. I think I'm making reasonable time here. And uh, number three is fairly brief. Press on by standing firm in the Lord. Press on by standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm versus in a drunken-like manner or uh, holding tight versus loosely. Holding tight versus loosely. That is the idea of standing firm in God. And verse 21 to 4 verse 1 says, uh, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, here it is. You see it? Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I mean, this is a guy who loves his church. He really loves this group of people. But here's what Paul is talk, teaching us about in these verses, he is speaking about the resurrection. I've talked about that already. Again, that is the day when Christ returns. Your spirit, if you're in Christ, your spirit and your body, your physical body, will reunite again. It's like a, a, a you, you reunion. That's amazing to think about. You reunion. And that's what happens. But this body is transformed. It is powerful. It is filled with glory. It will be like Jesus' own resurrected body. And, and this is a great hope that occurs for us. The older I get, the more I want that. You know, it's going to be a good day. But then notice what Paul says in verse 1, chapter 4. Again, stand firm in the Lord. How do we press on? How do you press on? By choosing, by deciding, by resolving. I am going to stand firm in Christ, in Jesus, no matter what. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me and Jesus, of me being with him in heaven, in new heavens, new earth, resurrection body for eternity. That's where I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm aiming for. Let me use this quick analogy, hopefully, that being a windstorm. We get these November windstorms. Don't you love those? They hit. They're very powerful. You know, it's 100, 110 kilometer hour winds that knock everything down and, and cause power outages and all the rest. Well, imagine this has happened today. 
And after this brutal windstorm, it finally subsides. You decide to walk around your neighborhood, check for damage. So this is actually Vancouver, okay? So this is the real deal. This is somewhere probably more downtown uh, area or older Vancouver. And so you're walking around trying to look for damage, check things out, maybe help a neighbor who may need assistance. And as you walk around, you identify two trees, two oak trees. One that is still standing, but another one that is not. One is actually crashed down onto a house. Its branches are broken off. The root ball is kind of up there. You can see all the roots sticking up out of the ground. And the question is, well, how did this happen? How did the, how did the, one, on the, right, the one on the left actually survive the storm, and yet this one fell over and crashed? Here's, here's why this happened. The one on the left is close to a stream of water, meaning it received uh, all the water and nutrition and structure that was required to make it a very strong and mature organism. Whereas the other tree, yes, it grew to some significant size, but it was quite a ways from a stream of water, a water source, a regular water source. And so sadly, this tree was not receiving quite enough water, quite enough nutrition, quite enough fortifying strength to be, be able to resist the forces of the windstorm. Here's my point. The Christian, who is like the oak tree that is not able to stand firm, but fell over, that's the Christian. You, you lose your focus. You get your focus off Christ. You get your focus off your heavenly crown and reward. This reminds me, I have a friend who is well into his 60s, might be in his 70s. Don't worry, he's not in the church, okay? But from someone in my, from, my, from the past. And in the last few years, he's thrown away everything. He's thrown away everything after... Decades of following Jesus, decades of being a deacon and elder in his church. And he threw away his marriage. He threw away the reputation that he had. He threw away the church that he had. And he threw away his business as well. He lost the business. You know why? He ran after a younger woman. That's all. That's it. He, he felt like that was a better choice in that moment. He lost everything. Just, just horrifically sad in every way, but we need to be aware. Like That's the power of sin if we let it. The, the sin has that kind of power if, if we allow that to happen, and we don't stay resolved on focus and staying firm in Christ. Uh, what about the Christian? I, I mean, I could go on. I've seen Christians, all of a sudden, their career becomes most, more important than, than Jesus because it, 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 it takes, takes over their lives. I've seen uh, political beliefs uh, take over their lives, and ne next thing you know, they're not following Christ um, I've seen Christians, their sexual appetite takes over everything, and now Christ is an afterthought. I mean, other things take the primary focus in their life instead of Christ, and now, even though they once were maybe straining towards Christ in heaven, now they're not. They're straining towards other things, earthly things. And Christ is an afterthought. And in so doing, they're moving away from the life-giving stream that Christ gives to us. They move away from active involvement in their local church family. They move away from basing their life upon God's words of life in Scripture that He gives to us to basically save us from ourselves and give us wisdom and give us joy. But they move away from that stuff instead of focusing on Christ and on the reward of heaven. And it's just, it's just really sad. It's just really unfortunate. Let me just leave things on a positive note, okay? Let's, let me try to leave things positive and bring this in. The great thing about seeking Jesus 
making him your first love, your primary goal, your primary desire is that he gives you stability. And it's a wonderful byproduct. It's a wonderful result. The wise man builds his house upon the... There it is. It's an old song. It's okay if you don't know the song. But the wise man builds his house upon the rock. That is Jesus Christ. He becomes your rock. He becomes your shield. He becomes your stronghold. And in the environment, being around Jesus and his influence, you grow like that glorious oak on the left. Each day you drink in Jesus' wisdom and his power and his strength and his joy and the presence of his Holy Spirit who dwells within you so that when the windstorm comes like it will come, and it is coming, the windstorm of cultural pressures and sinful temptations come your direction and hardship and suffering, all of these things blow against your life, you do not fall over, you do not cave, you do not give in, you certainly don't give up on Jesus, you don't. You press on by standing firm in the Lord, no matter what. And in the end, you receive your heavenly reward. You receive that which you were aiming for. You were aiming for that. And then you get it by the grace of God. What are you aiming for today? What are you aiming for how would you answer that question? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this passage. Just a great reminder that it is all too easy to let our desires get the best of us. It is all too easy to make other things our primary focus. It is all too easy to aim at everything else but you, Lord Jesus, and the reward that you promise us in Christ. So forgive us, Lord, for getting distracted. We need your help. We repent of our sins. We repent of replacing you with lesser things. We need your Holy Spirit to eradicate and kill and mortify those sinful desires within us to save us from ourselves. May our primary goal be for you, be new heavens, new earth, and desire to be transformed into your image, Lord Jesus. We can't do this ourselves. We need you. As we come to the time of the Lord's Supper, we remember that any of, this, any of these benefits, heaven, transformation, all of these things are are dependent upon what you've done for us already in and through and by the cross. And so we come to remember and celebrate all that you've done for us, Lord Jesus. Through Christ we pray. Amen.